Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Good morning. What a great day to be in God's house. What a great week to be on staff here, see the energy every day. Um, I was told that at one point we were thinking about building uh, big towers on the stage out of those um, cereal boxes, but with all the kids that are up here, it's probably a good thing they didn't do that or we'd have seen the falling walls of Jericho or something. Um, This is Family Sunday. Last time we had a Family Sunday, I was also preaching You would not believe how many people have come up to me and asked if we're going to have food thrown into the balcony today. (laughs) If you were here, you remember what happened last time. Um, Some of my friends in our small group are known to text from time to time while they're in church. Not everybody in our small group attended this service, and so a friend of mine texted out, Oh, no, Kevin just tossed his cookies in the service. (laughs) And the people on the other campuses, oh, that's terrible, we're praying. (laughs) He wrote back and said, don't worry, he worked it into his sermon. (laughs) I'm going to start this morning a little bit differently than we start most days. I'm going to show a video Kids, I found out that this is still a video that you can see on TV, but it's probably more like a video your parents were watching when they were growing up, and actually, it's been around for 53 years, so some of your grandparents might have even watched this video. This video tells a little how I feel today. One of these things is not like the other. That's how I feel in this series on the book of Psalms because we learned there are five types of Psalms and we created this memory tool and probably each week you're going to be reminded of this memory tool and it's to help you remember those five types of Psalms. Now we've made it a little simplistic and it's, but it's to help you remember. Uh, Number one, our first response to God might be, wow. And those are psalms of exaltation, psalms of praise and worship. And Pastor Joe from LaPorte will be preaching that message on a psalm of exaltation. The second way we respond to God is thank you or thanks. Those are psalms of thanksgiving. And Pastor Tim will be preaching that sermon here next week. Then last week, Pastor Darrell preached... uh, I'm sorry, or I confess. Those are psalms of confession. When we look at ourselves and then look at God, we realize that we have a ways to go. The last of the first four is help. Those are psalms of supplication 
and request. And as I look at these four responses, I'm struck with how appropriate they are. They're all appropriate responses. The fifth response, I don't know that it's so appropriate. The fifth response is, why? This represents the Psalms of Lament. Do they really fit in with the other four? I mean, the other four rather appropriate Psalms of Lament almost strike me as sinful. Psalms of Lament look and sound an awful lot like somebody complaining, like somebody whining. And most of us have a problem with complaining because no one likes to be around a complainer. Think of someone in your mind right now that you would say, that's a complainer. I want you to think about someone, and I'm going to tell you some things about that person. Probably they keep saying the same things over and over and over. And probably they don't offer suggestions on how to help. They just gripe about the situation. And I would guess that probably to be around them drains energy. And so we don't like complaining. And secondly, Christians aren't supposed to complain, are they? We're supposed to, you know, be joyful. You know, the Beatitudes. Jesus says, happy is the person who is poor in spirit. Happy is the person who is a peacemaker. Happy is the person who is meek. Are we supposed to be happy? And those of you that are kids, how many of your parents have quoted Philippians 2, 14 to you? Or how many parents have quoted it to your kids? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. And so... While we like the raw honesty of the book of Psalms, and we do, we're sort of naturally uncomfortable with Psalms like this, with Psalms of lament. And that's why I said one of these is not like the others. And yet the book of Psalms is full of laments. The experts tell us that 58 of the 150 Psalms are laments. That's nearly 40% of all the Psalms are Psalms of lament. 42 of those psalms are individual laments. 16 are corporate, community laments. And honestly, sometimes they do look a lot like whining. And so we may say, wouldn't it be better if the author would just say when things get tough, buck up, stay positive, we'll make it. Well, maybe, but I don't know that that's better. The most shocking thing about this lament today in the book of Psalms is the one that's lamenting is Jesus, the Messiah. We're going to read words today that Jesus uses. Actually, Jesus is quoting from the words of David. And for those of you who remember the crucifixion, you will remember as we read this psalm, four different times things in this psalm refer directly to Jesus. And it would be easy to start this sermon today with Jesus, but we're going to end with Jesus. A thousand years before Jesus' death, another king came, and he was uttering these words, and he was raising his lament to God, and he could have been speaking for all of humanity, and what he said was, life is hard. So let's let David be our spokesman today. Cliff, I've asked Cliff to come and help me read. Uh, You will understand why I'm asking Cliff to come help me read in a little bit. But we're in Psalm 22, if you want to take your Bible and turn there. Psalm 22, and we'll be reading 19 verses from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. 
on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads saying, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Thank you, Cliff. This is the word of God. Now, keep in mind, we had two people reading it, but there's only one author. This was not two different authors. This was King David lamenting, but he's speaking like he has two minds, two perspectives of reality. The first perspective reality is represented by my side. That is the human predicament. The human predicament is that life is hard And David shares with us five ways that that's true. Life is hard because we feel abandoned. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David certainly felt abandoned here. We do not know what was the exact circumstances around this psalm, like we do with some of the other psalms, which will say he wrote this psalm while he was hiding in the cave, or he wrote this psalm while he was fleeing from Saul. But we do know that his wife abandoned him. We do know that King Saul abandoned him. We do know that his sons abandoned him. His son Absalom took up arms against him. Some of his best generals and advisors abandoned him, and he felt betrayed. Do you ever feel betrayed? Being abandoned, it's so much more than just being alone. Many of us in this room can do alone quite well but we don't do too well with being abandoned. Our social and our relational support is gone and we're vulnerable and we're in danger. But this is even worse than that because David felt betrayed by God himself. This is a man that we're told is a man after God's own heart. This was a man that was a writer of so many of these psalms that show how close he was to God. And now he says, God, you abandoned me. Why? And I know there are some here 
who struggle with whether or not God cares. Some here feel like God has abandoned them. I was talking to a young man recently, and he said to me, when I needed him the most, God wasn't there, so I'm done with this faith thing. Maybe that's you. And we get it. Life is hard. There are other ways that this psalm shows us that life is hard. Secondly, we feel ignored. Verse 2 Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Let's suppose you're having a conversation with someone that's important to you, perhaps a family member. You're trying to have a conversation. Is there anything worse than being ignored? I mean, it's one thing if they can't hear you, but it's quite another if they choose not to listen or to respond. It's insulting. Couples, we all know this when we're married. It's almost better if your spouse disagrees with you, but they may not ignore you. Yet David felt ignored. Was he ignored by his people? Yes. But even more, he was ignored by God. He said, God, I come to you and I made my petition and I get no response. I come by day, I come by night, still no response. I cry out. David felt unimportant like we do when we're ignored. And I know there are some people here today who feel like experts in being ignored. We feel invisible, unimportant, marginalized. Oh, we used to try this whole faith thing, but... Now we've given up. Perspective number one, guess what? Life is hard. The third way he shows us that life is hard is that we feel mocked. Look at verses 6 and 7. But I am a worm, not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads, to be scorned and despised and mocked. David would have thought being ignored was bad enough, but this seems worse, to be mocked. You and I, as normal people, we don't like to be mocked. Imagine how it feels if you're a king and you are mocked. It reminds me of Sergei Lavrov. How many know who I'm talking about when I say Sergei Lavrov? Should be a couple. Sergei Lavrov is presently the Russian foreign minister. He's been the Russian foreign minister for the past 20 years. It's his job to represent his country to the rest of the world. Now, there's a job I wouldn't want to have right now. About a year ago, he addressed the United Nations, and all the delegates there were from the United Nations. And during his speech, he said that Ukraine started the war. And when he said that, Dozens of delegates just got up and walked out. Now, his boss could have said to him, don't worry, don't take it personally. This was some planned political statement. They're not mocking you. Don't worry about it. Well, three months ago, he spoke again. Sergey Lavrov spoke again in Delhi, India, and he's speaking at an economic conference, and he used the same argument. He said Ukraine started the war, and hundreds of people in the audience just bust out laughing at him. You can watch this on YouTube, and he gets all flustered as these people are mocking him as he's speaking. No one likes to be mocked. No one likes to be ridiculed. This is an attack on an emotional level. Have you ever been there? 
Feel more like a worm than a man? Feel like people are making faces at you behind your back? (laughs) That's the lament of the author. He's not just saying life is difficult. He's saying life is mean. It's one thing to disagree with someone. It's quite another thing to make fun of them. The fourth way this psalmist shows us that life is hard, we feel tired. Verses 14 to 15, I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My stung tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This morning we've already seen relational setbacks, mental setbacks, emotional setbacks, and now we see physical setbacks. And with David, we get it. David was always tired because it seems he was constantly running. And if he wasn't running, he was continually hiding, and he was hiding it off the grid places like the backside of a mountain or out in the desert or in a cave. And if he wasn't running and hiding, he was fighting, and sometimes he was fighting enemies within and sometimes enemies from other countries. And so when he gets to verse 2 and says he's just tired and at nights he gets no rest, we can agree. We get it. David's tired. And I don't even need to ask if any of you have ever felt that way because there are many of us here today who are just plain tired. We have this thing called our routine, and then we have our schedule, and then we have our job, and then we have our family, and everything just keeps adding it up. And then on top of that, we have sickness and injury and disease, and we're just too drained, and we have no resources left for the times when we're abandoned or ignored or mocked. Life is hard. Lastly, we know life is hard because we feel threatened and attacked. Verse 16 and 17. For the dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. In this life is hard reality, this is perhaps the toughest. And here you're more than just physically tired. You're threatened. And more than just threatened, you're attacked. And this is not just an injured ego or hurt feelings. It's as if you were at war and you were defeated and you were close to death. And so we understand David's lament. Why do we understand David's lament? Because many of us have been there too. We know the weight of being threatened. We know the loss of being beaten. Perhaps many more than any of the other ways Being under attack shows us that life is hard. And that's the human predicament. That's what David said. Life is hard. And so David laments. And so he complains. And yes, he whines a little bit. And strangely, we find some reassurance in this because at least David's being honest. And at least what we're going through is normal And we can expect it, but still, we wish for something else. And even in David's deepest lament, another voice inside of him speaks. 
And that voice is reminding him that even though we are in the human predicament, there is a divine answer. And the divine answer is good news, so let's look at that. But as we look at that, I have to warn you that the divine answer is not always what we want. In the divine answer, when we feel abandoned, God is there. Verse 3 says, yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. David is reminding himself that when he feels abandoned, God is still there. And so how do we feel about that? Well, we say, that's nice. God is there. (laughs) But I'm here. And I'm feeling abandoned. Yet you are holy. God's holiness. Hey, I'm all for God's holiness, we say, but your holiness is so far away. And yes, you're enthroned in the praises of Israel and praises bring you honor. And that's great. But is that enough for me when I'm feeling abandoned? Notice that David's feelings did not change what was true. What was true was that God had not abandoned him. But he felt like he had. God was asking David to trust him even when he felt abandoned. Can we? Secondly, when we feel ignored, God is listening. Verses 4 through 4 and 24. Verse 4 says, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. Verse 24, He has not hidden his face from the afflicted, but he has heard when he cried to him. When the afflicted cries to God, God hears. God has listened in the past, and we say, well, that's nice. But it doesn't seem likely he's listening now. Before, that was then. It was good for our forefathers that God delivered them when they trusted in him. But where's my deliverance? I don't even feel like God is listening. Again, Silence doesn't mean God isn't listening. God is asking David to trust him even in silence. Can we? The third divine answer, when we feel mocked, God is still held in awe. Verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And you say, Kevin, these two ideas, do they even go together? We don't understand how. But if ours was an honor-based culture, we would understand how, because when I'm mocked, my honor goes down. And when God is praised and held in honor, his honor goes up. And we say, well, that's nice, God, I really believe it, and God, I want to honor you, but right now my honor is injured. And it's like God would say to David and us, is it really about your honor? There are things that are so much more important. I have a question for you. What is the number one event worldwide on television? I got this wrong. I thought it was the uh, World Cup. It is not. The number one event watched worldwide is happening right now. It is the Tour de France. 
It is a bicycle race in France. It goes for 21 days. There are 176 competitors. They go 2,000 miles. There are 22 teams, and they were interviewing the managers of these teams, and 21 teams train the same way, but one team trains different than any of the other teams. And the manager of this team that trained so different was being mocked by the other managers. They're saying, what a, what a silly way to train. And he said, well, you can laugh at me all you want. Just check out the results. What he was saying is, the big picture matters. You can mock me, but that doesn't matter because in the end, the big picture, we win. God was asking David to trust him even when he was ridiculed. Can we? Fourth answer. When we feel tired, God reminds us of the ending. Verses 30 and 31. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And again, you say, how are these related? And even if they are related, we would think that that's nice, God, that ultimately you win. And yes, it's nice that people who are still unborn will come to you. But when I'm tired, I am not thinking about a people that are yet unborn. I'm thinking about right now. And God would say, maybe you should be thinking about the people that are yet unborn. And here's why. Stop for a moment to consider when you're tired, when you're weak when you're exhausted. What do we do? Well, we look for motivation to keep going. The athlete who spends six hours a day training and is tired, forces himself to run one more mile and do one more set of weights because he thinks that the prize that he might get at the end of the race that is coming in the future. The employee that started out working five days a week, eight hours a day, and then that got moved to six days a week, ten hours a day, and now finds herself working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. She perseveres because she knows at the end of next month there's a performance evaluation coming and there's a promotion she's seeking, and so she perseveres. The grandfather or the grandmother who's just exhausted perseveres in life so that their kids will have a better life and that they can make a difference to their grandkids. David reminds us, as he reminded himself, the outcome has already been determined. God wins. The next generation will know him. The next generation will praise him. And so, yes, we're weak and we're tired, but even then, don't quit. Can we persevere? The final part of the divine answer, when we face attack, God is able to rescue. Verse 21 says, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. In verse 4, we know that God rescued them in the past. And we know in our minds that God is able, he is able to rescue anybody now, but is being able the same thing as being rescued I mean, certainly if God knew my pain, if God knew my loss, if God knew the attack that I was under, he would step in and do something, but he hasn't. Life is hard. Can we accept his divine answers to our human predicament? 
Sometimes we can, but sometimes we need more. And this is where we'd be left if it were not for what referred to at the very beginning of this sermon that Jesus uses this lament. The human predicament, the divine answer, now we'll look at the ultimate solution. The ultimate solution to the human predicament because a thousand years after David gave the words of this psalm, Jesus hung on a cross. And he paid the price and was the solution for the problem of sin. And while he was on that cross, Jesus felt abandoned by his Father in heaven who turned away because he was not able to look on sin. And Jesus takes David's own words and he quotes them and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we see that in Psalm 22.1, but we also see that in Matthew 27.46. Somehow it just doesn't seem right that Jesus, the Son of God, was abandoned by his Father. And yet, Jesus experienced what we experience, only worse. And imagine with me, if you will, he was not just abandoned, ignored by his Father, but he's also tired, and he's weak, and he's mocked. Jesus was intimately familiar with our human predicament. Chapter 22, verse 6 through 8 says this, But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And yes, that's Psalm 22, 6 through 8, but we also find those words in Mark 15, 29 to 31, applying to Jesus the Messiah. Jesus grew tired, and he was weak, and he got mocked, but it didn't stop there. He was then threatened, and he was attacked, and he was killed. And verses 16 and 18 talk about this. For the dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Matthew 27, 35. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That applies to Jesus in John 19, 24. And so Jesus, the Messiah, willingly took on the human predicament, so that you and I could have ultimate relief and victory over it. Life is hard, and we lament. Life was hard for Jesus, and he did something about it. He experienced it. And so Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, Jesus gets it. Been there, done that. He understands what we're going through. And because he was abandoned, I don't need to worry about being abandoned. And because he was mocked and won, I can handle some ridicule. And because he was attacked and killed, you and I can have life abundant and everlasting And suddenly, God's divine answer makes complete sense in Jesus. When we're alone, we can persevere. When no one else is listening, we can rest in the fact that he hears. 
When we are mocked, we can be assured of the ultimate ending for our own good. When we're tired, we have the motivation in Christ that keeps us going. When we're attacked or we face death, we know we shall live forever. The psalmist's words, David's lament, became Jesus' words, and now they can be our words, words of hope. Let's pray together. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.